Welcome to Real Life Rescues, a podcast that's going to go behind the scenes and take an in-depth look into the operational and personal accounts of EMS first responders from Israel's largest fully volunteer EMS provider, United Atzala. Any volunteers available in Beit Shemesh across from the Noach Ayala trails? And units available in Tamaria near the Kinara for an 11-year-old boy pulled into the water, possibly drowning. Eight or seven is in the water with the boat. Backup units in the Welcome to another uh, really special episode of Real Life Rescues here. I'm Rafael Posh. And I'm Dovi Maisel. And we're actually coming to you today from the Ukrainian border. Yep. We're actually both in the same country for like five minutes, uh, and we might as well do a podcast. Um, well, yeah. Well, we've been here for a month now. We certainly have. And it's been, uh, I would say, um, I'm trying to look for the right words uh, to describe this past month. And and I can't seem to find it. Insanity. Insanity is one thing. Human catastrophe is yeah, another one. Absolutely. Uh, just a complete tragedy. Catastrophe is another good one uh, of what we're seeing here literally every single day of people coming in uh, across the Ukrainian border with nothing. Um, they've, you know, a month ago they were living normal lives and now they've got absolutely nothing. Um, and it's the fallout and dealing with that that we've been doing for the last month. Uh, I, I still I still can't believe it's a month. It's I mean time. We've lost sense of time, place between the traveling uh, in and out of Ukraine, Moldova, Poland, Slovakia, Romania, Hungary. So many countries um, that are all so affected by this um, flee of millions of refugees. Absolutely. And even as they're moving into other places in Europe, just the the whole process of, of absorbing them initially, providing that initial care at the scene, at the border crossing, and then once they get to refugee centers, wherever they happen to be for the first few days, uh, has been incredibly taxing on all of the countries where they're coming to um, and the people themselves. Uh, and, and thankfully, from what I've seen here, we've, uh, we've experienced an outpouring of humanity coming from the other side, from the local populations uh, in all those countries that you just mentioned, uh, so in support of the refugees coming out of Ukraine. I think that that it, I, I think the, the description that we were saying about a humanitarian disaster or catastrophe is true. When we see such atrocities on one side, you see an outburst of humanity on the other side of of, of people um, that are, are are coming to help, of people that are are lending whatever hand they can in whatever capacity they can. And I'm, I'm really humbled. In this, in this episode, I think I'm more humbled than anything else, is, is to, to be here and share a little bit of uh, what we've been experiencing in this past month. Um, it's, it's just endless amounts of, of human stories, of human stories, because I think more than anything, this is what it's all about. It's, it's millions of individuals. It's millions of individuals um, that, that are really left with nothing, um, displaced from home, displaced from their country. Displaced um, from their families, because we have the women and children fleeing, but the men and husbands, the brothers, et cetera, all have to stay. Yeah, I've, I've been asked, I've been asked uh, many times via media or, or whatever, what is the difference in this incident than any other disaster we've been to around the world? Because We've been to disasters in Haiti and the earthquake and Nepal and the earthquake, hurricanes in the States and, and, and other disasters around the world. But what differs this one from those? And I think that is the women and children. 
this is a, a, a human catastrophe, but you can only see women, children, and elderly people. There are no men. Right. The men are, are as I said before, the men are being forced to stay inside Ukraine to sort of fight uh, in the war. Um, and we've often even encountered situations where people are trying to escape and can't and, and sustain injuries uh, while trying to escape in different ways. Um, we've had to treat a number of those incidents as well. Um, but let's, let's backtrack. This. Backtrack. Let's back it up a notch, as, as you like to oh, say. Uh, what are, say that. what are we doing here? I haven't said that in a long time. Um, what are we doing here? So we started off, uh, the war broke out February 24th on Thursday, uh, and we immediately received a call from a uh, community in Moldova saying, we need help. There's an influx of, of refugees that we don't know how to deal with. Uh, we don't have the resources for, uh, and you very much, very quickly put together a team of, uh, of people to, to go and provide the initial response. Uh, we sent a team of 15 people, uh, 12 Israelis, three from Florida. Um, and, uh, they were our initial team on the ground, um, both providing humanitarian aid, medical relief. More than uh, anything, they did an assessment and an assessment okay. and, and the assessment. Yeah. And the assessment was, listen, guys, this is huge. This is huge. And we we really fast uh, sat down and, and started assembling a major um, rescue delegation. Okay. Um, the largest one we've ever sent. Yeah, actually, yeah. And we even said that it's going to be the largest one. We never we never imagined it would it would end up being so long either because United Hatsala, uh, by DNA, is an emergency response organization. We know how to bridge the gap, just like we bridge the gap in Israel um, uh, for medical emergencies um, uh, to 90 seconds until the ambulance comes 10 or 15 minutes later. Uh, uh, the same idea we do in disasters around the world is we're nimble, we're small, we can move fast, get the go team out there, get a team out, be there for a week or two, and then we're done and back home. Here, nobody imagined, uh, and this well exceeded any of our uh, historic missions anywhere, and on scale, uh, what, what, what we've been doing. I mean, I, I think this podcast maybe is an opportunity for me for the first time to actually sit down and reflect a little bit on what we've achieved here, what we actually did, Rafael. Um, and what I mean, we're still doing. We're still doing. Yeah. I mean, as we speak, there's still 50 people here. And, yeah. and we have people now also based in Poland and in Slovakia and in Romania. Romania and, yeah. and this expanded to, to, to limits I, I never imagined. Just to put this in perspective, when Dovi said this is the first time uh, that he's had set time to sit down and reflect. For the last month, he's been working 24 hours a day, every day, uh, as have I and many others here. Uh, and most of us, uh, there's people who haven't actually ever gone home uh, or seen their families since the onset of the war. Um, the original team that came, uh, has been, you know, working around the clock. We've tried to relieve them, uh, and some members we've been successful with, and some members have just stayed since the beginning. Throughout, yeah. Um, and it's it's been incredibly taxing and and emotionally draining, um, but at the same time, um, it's been incredibly, uh, I guess, inspiring. Um, inspiring, fulfilling, humbling. Yeah. Um, any 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 phrase you might say would be right because. This is greater than than anything right. we've ever seen. For sure. So we had the initial assessment team out for for the first couple of days, and they, like I said, they said this was much more much much larger than anything we've ever done, uh, and they needed more team members and they needed more supplies. So let's try maybe and share with the with, with our listeners here um, what, what 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 it means. What was the mission? 
what, what, what are we actually doing out there? And I think that, 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 that maybe to put an outline to, to really understand is, is we're talking about one of five countries that are surrounding uh, um, Ukraine. On the western side. On the western side of Ukraine, um, south and southwest of Ukraine. And it has two borders um, from yeah. Ukraine into Moldova, which uh, refugees are coming in. The southern one, which is closer to Odessa. And the northern one, which is parallel line maybe to the more northern cities, Kiev and, 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 and others in that area. Um, and, and we identified um, in the first few days that the primary mission will be to provide medical support for those refugees crossing the border. Um, we need to remember that the weather there is sub-zero degrees um, and, and snow. And these people are, are on the road on, uh, by foot, by car for five to seven days until they make it to the borders. Um, and, and while crossing the border, we find a lot of people in hypothermia, um, um, dehydration, frostbites, um, fatigue, and of course, emotionally drained. Yeah. And just uh, completely destroyed. One of the other main things we've seen here uh, at the crossings was uh, pregnant women who can no longer feel their babies move because they've just been too exhausted and too cold. Um, so we've had a lot of that as well. Um, our heart monitors have come in incredibly handy, uh, as well as, uh, and we, we very quickly in those first couple of days, we, we noticed that there was, there was multiple needs. One of them was like you're saying at the borders, uh, which we've seen here and we're continuing to provide that support. The other one was that, uh, the refugees are usually brought in from the borders into, uh, central Moldova and in and around the capital of Kishinev. Um, there's a lot of refugee centers that have been set up and buildings, empty buildings, or even buildings that were used for industrial purposes, reconverted into, uh, refugee centers. And we needed to provide medical support and humanitarian aid in those refugee centers as well. Um, another thing was that the re local resources here have been overtaxed. Uh, so we quickly set up a field hospital, um, uh, in one of the, you know, major, uh, centers inside Kishinev, uh, which is the capital city. Uh, we set up a, a quick field hospital, and that was very quickly inundated with people as well, uh, both, yeah, both was, patients uh, and I th refugees. I think it was interesting to see what a vital role United Hatzalah, a small organization from Israel, played in this. I think is is maybe relating to the fact that Moldova is not a European Union country, right. not a NATO country, nope. um, none of those. And, and, therefore, and is one of the poorest countries in Europe. And is one of the poorest countries... Um, with, with one of the major risks that was, uh, we were on high alert for that as well. And with our eyes wide open, because Moldova has the unflattering title of the capital of human trafficking of Europe and maybe one of the world. Um, and, and, and therefore a country that's in the constant state of bankruptcy, um, with not a big population, by the way, for just for our listeners to understand, we're talking about a country of 4 million citizens with 1 million that are constantly working as foreign workers across Europe. Um, so it's, it's, it's a very difficult, um, uh, platform to be working on. However, uh, given those, uh, uh, statistics, statistics, it gives us also the ability to understand how important it is what we were doing there right. and the impact. And we say that Moldova was painted orange um, by the by the orange coats of our of our volunteers there because it ended up expanding to go way beyond just medical support. Uh, the humanitarian support factor, which we are not by definition a humanitarian organization. We're an EMS organization, but the humanitarian need was so great so immediately our paramedics and our doctors and our EMTs 
knew to put their egos aside and do what needed to be done. And, it, and that meant if we needed now to put together a kitchen and start cooking meals for refugees that are, have gotten to some sort of center but have nothing to eat, then we need to do that. If it, if it meant we, we need to, to, to start uh, helping them with, with, with basic necessities um, and, and even toiletries. And, and, and Changing sheets at a, at a hotel that was being set up for refugees. Yeah. I spent a day doing that. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we all became hotel workers as well. But Absolutely. because it was simply what was needed. I think the human factor here was so tremendous. Mm. And, 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 and the volunteers so connected to this mission that nothing was beneath them. Nothing was beneath them, and 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 the gratitude that we saw from the people was mind blowing. It absolutely mind blowing. Was. So let's back up to the the point where he said uh, setting up a, re- a restaurant, which we did, and we'll just talk about that for a second. With the when we arrived, uh, the community was basically put pumping out a hundred to two hundred meals a day for refugees, and that's what they were able to do with the volunteers and staff they had on hand. Um, we went in. We saw the need. We we took over a, uh, an Irish tr- pub <laughs> um, and converted it into an industrial. That's kitchen. been closed for two years because of COVID. Right. Well, that actually didn't know, <laughs> <laughs> but we, I know we took it over, um, and we basically turned it into an industrial kitchen and started um, with both our volunteers who who initiated it, and then local volunteers that came to help. Um, we ended up being uh, pumping out between five to six thousand meals per day for for refugees. Of course, our volunteers as well, but uh, mainly for the refugees around in and around the refugee centers in Kishinev to receive food, hot food, uh, cooked every day, three meals, and um, that's been made a huge impact. Um, we were talking about recognition from the community. One, the two stories that I remember from recognition of the community is one when we uh, were at the border, um, people, someone came across to us and said, yeah, "I've I've uh, I've been waiting for days to come across the border so I could see you guys." Because everyone on the Ukrainian side already knows to to find the people in orange. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like the word has gotten back. And you know, we think refugees, but everyone, all all the refugees are with their cell phones. Um, they all have WhatsApp. They're all messaging each other and giving each other tips and advice on what to do when they cross the border. And one of the tips was find the people in orange if you need medical care. Uh, so someone came rushing across the border and said, you know, I I need help. I'm having chest pains. Um, and they just started recently. Uh, and you know, I, I need help. So we, we quickly, uh, called one of our paramedics over and hooked him up to a heart monitor. Uh, and it turned out he was actually just suffering a panic attack. He had been walking for 15 hours, his car had broken down inside Ukraine and he walked to the border for 15 hours in the sub zero degree temperature. Uh, and he, he was suffering from a severe panic attack. Um, so we were able to calm him down and treat him. Um, there were others, like you said, we had frostbite and those things. And, and then there were, because they, they, and then, and then they there knew were, who we were based and, on our And then codes. there were the real calls. Then there were the real calls. We're talking war-related injuries. We're talking rescues, um, heroic rescues from within uh, Ukraine, from uh, from um, war-struck in cities, um, from Odessa, from uh, Kharkiv, from uh, from uh, Mariupol. These are all names you must have heard on 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 on, on the news. On, on the news. So we've been performing uh, rescues out of these cities. And we're well, talking about complicated rescues, advanced life support, severe injuries that are brought out in 15, 16-hour ambulance rides, um, uh, uh, cutting through uh, um, uh, army barricades and, and, and borders to then arrive uh, into Moldova and from there flown out on emergency medevacs to, to Israel where they can get the advanced treatment 
um, that they that, that, that they needed. It's it really is such a mix of of the extreme war trauma, the humanitarian, and and all of that. And and if to top put on top of that is we understood that we also need to help these people move on and not get stuck in Moldova, yeah. which is how did you say a massive influx of people? Correct. And one of the, so in in an effort to, I guess, facilitate that, one of the things the organization also very quickly decided was that uh, on our second flight in, uh, when we sent uh, 40 additional team members, we had the original 15 who did the assessment. Um, The plan was to send another 15 and and max out our team at 30. Um, And when the first assessment came in, we realized that wasn't going to happen. So we ended up with an additional 40 people. So our team stayed around 55 or 60 people continuously who we then cycled in and out based on based on need. Um, once that plane went in with the 40 people and uh, was it 15 tons of humanitarian supplies and medical yeah. uh, medical supplies, uh, we used that same plane to turn around and bring refugees uh, to Israel. And that began... Um, well, ask me... <laughs> ask you. Ask you did me the entire mo- thing. No, no. Ask <laughs> me a month ago, would I ever imagine that I'd be a chartering a plane... A J, a, a Boeing 737 for United Hatsala, I'd laugh in your face. Um, and after that first plane, we were very excited that we were able to bring in 15 tons of medical supplies and food and, and humanitarian assistance and, and rescue 160 refugees. And a month later, we're over, I don't know, what is it? Over 2,000. Over 2,000 refugees that we flew over on 16 chartered planes already yeah. from six different airlines Three different airports, um, three different countries, three different countries, and 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 ongoing, ongoing. And add to that a cargo plane that we chartered and landed in in Kishinev with with twenty tons of equipment, and another two cargo planes going to leave this week. We are involved in a operation that I would never in my life imagined on scale that I'd be managing. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, and, 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 and it just doesn't stop coming. I mean, just, just this last Friday, um, where we're talking about an emergency, we get a, 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 a request from uh, Israeli authorities that there is a six critically ill patients uh, that, have been, that have been brought over the border to a, a medical facility in, in Romania. Um, one of them is a 40-year-old post-cardiac arrest, another person 50 with the amputated legs. I mean, I, I'm talking severe um, a, a, a cases that all need to be flown on an emergency flight to Israel for advanced uh, treatment in a hospital here. And I'm like, six? How do we even do that? And we contact uh, El Al and see, tell them, can you put six stretchers on a plane? We'll, we'll charter the plane. Can you put six stretchers on? And and after yeah. a moment of silence, of shock, they said, we'll do what needs to be done. And within 24 hours- We retrofitted the plane. <laughs> fr- within, no, not retrofitted the plane. Within 24 hours, these six patients were at an Israeli hospital already. We retrofitted the plane. Got a team of five paramedics, doctors, nurses, um, and, and, and EMTs on that plane out within hours um, to fly yeah. out to Romania- Get these patients, bring them back, get them in ambulances here and to the hospital. And 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 these this mission in itself, as a standalone mission, ask me a month ago, I'd say, oh my God, that is like amazing. And now I I, I don't even know how to respond to say it's all in a day's work. Cause that sounds very arrogant. But 
it, 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 this is this is what this war has brought us to, um, to new limits of of capabilities. And you know why? It's not because of you or me, Rafal. It's because of the amazing people that we have in this organization volunteering, because of the amazing community around us, everyone is 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 recruited and committed to helping in this most um, challenging time. And it just goes to show that when there's a will, there's a way. When people want, there's no red tape and we make it happen. And, and it truly is an amazing human. It's an amazing humanity moment. I'm sounding very cliche today, but I, I guess this is my, this is my psychotrauma therapy session now, guys. You're all, you're all, you're all, all of you guys out there uh, listening are now my therapy session yeah, as I'm venting for the first time. Debriefing here. <laughs> Um, it's been, it's been trying this month. It's been very trying. And like you said, the, the mission was, was incredible. We turned around and less than, was it, uh, I think we left Israel at nine o'clock. Uh, the team left Israel at nine o'clock and was made it landed back at three o'clock in the afternoon with the patients in tow already coming from another country into uh, like, at, and, and we're 10 minutes later picked up our ambulances were on the tarmac to meet the plane. We didn't even all the paperwork had been done, all the passport control and everything had been done already while we were in the air with the uh, Immigration Authority of Israel. Uh, and people were taken directly from the plane to ambulances brought to the hospital immediately. Um, there was no stopping, no, like you're saying, no red tape. And uh, it's been kind of amazing uh, across the board to see this happening. Um, we've had a lot of assistance and help from various consulates, ambassadors, uh, just even even members of of parliament here, members of Knesset in Israel, uh, have been very very helpful. Uh, some have even come to join our missions uh, over the last few weeks uh, to see what's going on firsthand here in Moldova and uh, and other countries, and have been awed uh, by what's going on. I'll I'll, I'll just uh, invoke. There was um uh, someone who approached us from Twitter. He's a, a journalist. Uh, he's a photojournalist from number of different press uh, agencies and he goes around in different disaster zones to see what's going on. He's a disaster chaser. He's a disaster chaser. That's exactly who he is. But then again, um, so are we, but for different purposes. <laughs> um, well, so actually my wife always says, my, 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 before your shout out, I'll just yeah. say that my wife, her shout out was, dude, you're always running in the wrong direction. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's an EMT. She should know. Well, now. yeah, she knows. So. Um, the, uh, so his, his name's John Rudolph. And uh, he joined our, our team on the border for a little bit. Uh, and, and what he said was, I've been all around the world uh, and I've seen disaster scenes and I've seen humanitarian aid and I've seen you know, uh, relief organizations on the ground. And what you guys have here is, is like the, the Navy Marines of disaster relief going on. You guys are so organized uh, and you have everything functioning simultaneously in different ways in different places. Um, and while the, each individual volunteer doesn't necessarily know what's happening in all the different missions going around, um, they may not even be aware of them. Um, the, there's, there's team commanders and team leaders, yourself being one of them, uh, who have been aware of everything going on, and it is mind-boggling. Um, at any given point, we've had four what, what we call black ops teams, like you're saying. Working within in, Ukraine. Working yeah, within for Ukraine, sure. undercover. Some have been held at gunpoint. Um, some have been shot at or, or fired upon Yes, yes. Um, mistakenly, even by the Ukrainian teams who thought they were spies as well as by the Russians. And, uh, in essence, what we ended up doing, we were, we were trying to find any way possible at the beginning 
uh, during our first operations and our first missions. Um, and we'll talk about, I think, the surrogacy situation in a few minutes. Uh, but the we were trying to find any way possible to sort of help uh, get people who needed medical aid from Ukraine out across the border so they could receive it in a safe environment. Uh, now we've actually went out and purchased three ambulances. Well, actually four. You're not up to date. Oh, my gosh. We've got already four <laughs> ambulances that we bought that are working within Ukraine, our teams inside Ukraine, to perform rescues of, uh, first of all, war-related injuries that need to get out to uh, to hospitals with higher capabilities. Uh, one of those is a, is actually an Israeli hospital that opened up last week um, on the near the city of Lviv in western Ukraine. Um, and, and, and also to help rescue those, uh, bedbound, um, patients that are, that simply cannot move out of their houses and are interested in rescuing themselves, especially from the more bombarded cities. And those can only be done on a stretcher. And otherwise these people have been stuck for the past month and we're trying one at a time to get as many of them as possible out of there. So at any point in time, there's, there's those four missions happening. We have presence at, at both borders here in Moldova, as well as um, teams that are going day, every single day, uh, making the rounds to all of the refugee centers here in Moldova um, and assisting people as needed, uh, whether it's being provided with a little bit of food, uh, a warm meal, um, some activities for their children. And community uh, medicine. And community medicine, because no, the refugees don't have access to uh, medicine here unless it's an emergency, then they'll get taken to the hospital. But yeah, it's it's been kind of like the the like you're saying community medicine, so we can prevent them from getting to the hospitals, uh, and so we don't break them up from their families once again. Like if a mother needs medical care, but she's in the refugee center with her children, she can't really go to the hospital because the children are going to be sitting there by themselves, and she doesn't want to have to have that emotional breakup one more time. Um, so any care that we can provide at the centers themselves um, is incredibly helpful for the refugees as well, uh, and that's something we're doing on a daily basis and. I mentioned before only one of the stories that I talked about in terms of uh, local gratitude that we saw with people coming across the border and already knowing to look for the uh, the orange volunteers, volunteers dressed in orange. Um, we actually had uh, from the Moldovan side uh, last week, there was one of our cars broke down. And this was a car that a Ukrainian family had driven across the border um, and left for us uh, as an emergency aid organization because they moved on and they flew to Israel, but they couldn't take the car with them. So they left the car for us to to use to continue helping more refugees. Um, the car uh, suffered some mechanical problems, um, and we actually happened to be right near a mechanic, a local mechanic in in Kishinev. Uh, we drove the car into the mechanic, and the mechanic looked at us and said, "What seems to be problem?" We said, "We don't know. It's, there's smoke coming up from the hood." So he, he looked at it. We thought it was the oil. Uh, he looked at it. He said, "No, there's something stuck in one of the one of the tubes." Spent they spent an hour and a half fixing the car. Um, they said, great. You know, we offered to pay them afterwards and they said, how much, how much is it? And they said, for you guys, it's free. And we said, no, no, we can't accept it for free. We're not, uh, we don't, we don't uh, accept things. They said, no, no, we, we can't, we can't accept your money. You guys have been helping so many people here that we, we refuse to take any money from you whatsoever. And like you're saying, it's a poor country. We tried to give them a tip at least for their time. And they refused that too. No, but you can uh, really see that human, humankind coming together. And then you were talking about, you know, uh, uh, we were saying how everything turned orange over there, but the awareness really um, makes it um, instrumental to the to the operation on the ground. So, so mechanic is one example, but I think on scale, another example is when we uh, turned to uh, Air Moldova, which is an airline, and we wanted to charter a jet, a 182 passenger jet, 
um, and uh, in order to fly out uh, refugees and, and a stretcher with a patient on it, uh, the crew in, in, in critical condition. Um, and, and we reached out to the airline and I was talking to the VP there of the airline, whatever. And I tried to describe him who we are. And you know what? I said, hang on a second. And I, I, we switched to video and we were at our HQ uh, here in Moldova and he sees all the all the whole team, the guys and girls there in the orange jackets and, and the vests and everything and says, oh, I saw you guys on local TV. No problem, whatever you want. And they actually gave us a jet. Yeah, we ended up paying for it, but they didn't request a down payment. They didn't request a secured deposit. They gave us a jet. You can imagine this. It really is a beautiful side of humanity in, the, in these situations. It really was. And then, then we had a bigger surprise when we got onto the jet and they they brought their whole team, the pilots, the the flight attendants, and one of the flight attendants was actually uh, a local volunteer who had been with us in the kitchen peeling potatoes. Peeling potatoes, and she was a flight attendant from the airline who hadn't been able to work because the airline had been shut down because the airspace had been shut down. Um, and now that there was a flight going again, she was with us uh, on the other side helping the refugees once again. Not in this time in the kitchen peeling potatoes and being in charge of the the team in the kitchen, but she actually was on the flight helping the refugees as well. But I, I think that if we're talking about flights, I'd like to talk about um, uh, the personal side of how this affected me and, and what I saw. Uh, if we're going back to my uh, psychotrauma session here with you guys, um, is that when, when we take these people and we're putting them on buses um, to take them to the airport, we're talking four buses, five buses, 150 people. Um, we see them packing up their, uh, their uh, personal... Um, personal gear, equipment, whatever they have, suitcases. And we come to the airport and in check-in, um, well, the airport was open specifically for our flight because the airport was closed and they opened it just for this humanitarian flight. And I see these people lined up at the check-in lines and I noticed something very peculiar. And that is that all these people are carrying maybe a small carry-on. And I, I, I couldn't think... Um, about a, 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 an equivalent picture when we look at airports today, when people are coming with suitcases over suitcases, just going for a holiday and fighting over overweight at the desk and, and, and extra baggage. And I'm looking at these people, women, children, carrying a little suitcase, a little carry-on bag. And I'm thinking to myself, this is their whole life packed into a little carry-on bag. It simply is something that you cannot cannot comprehend. It, 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 it tears the heart apart. It really does. And you, you see the mother with the children there and, and maybe with a doll that they got at the border crossing by one of the volunteers or a toy or, or something like that. And, and you understand this is life packed into a suitcase. And you talk to some of these people and they're even describing how they, they left a pot of soup and all they uh, on the on the on the stove, and all they did was shut off the flame, and and grab a few things and throw them in the bag when the air raid sirens started going off, and and they ran, and it simply is 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 something that's so hard to to understand. It really is something that's so hard to understand, and and it's really tough, and yet there's we always try to look at the bright side of things, and you see that that there's good in everything. Yes, the situation is terrible, but they were able to make it out. 
Yes, they're alone and their father is across the border, but they're getting on the plane out to a safer land, to a place that is 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 at least providing safety for their for 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 the wife and the kids and the grandparents to be at until they reunite after this war. Please God. Um and and I think that's that's part of our mission. It's not only about bandages and tourniquets, but in this situation, it really is about the the humanitarian side, that 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 attention, the the talk, the hug, the 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 toy for the child is as meaningful as a tourniquet in the battlefield in this situation. Very much so. Um, unfortunately, that's the end of our time. Uh, so I think that's a really good note to end it on there. Um, and thank you for for bringing that. Uh, uh, I guess the heartfelt view of things. Uh, it really is, and and I think it really sums up the the human catastrophe on the one side, um, and the outpouring of humanity coming back from the other side to to help fill that void. Um, I've often thought that the only response to catastrophe is human kindness. Uh, and thankfully, uh, in the face of this uh, huge catastrophe, uh, we're we're seeing an equal amount of human kindness coming from the other side. I I strongly agree, Afal, and and I thank you guys for being my uh, therapists in this session. And I'm sure that the, by our next episode, we'll have our thoughts gathered a little bit more um, structurally and we'll be able to share a little bit more about the medical side and, 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 and additional encounters that we've had in the field there to share with you. Because I'm sure, I'm sure each and every EMS responder cannot sit aside and, and, and see this happening and not want to be there, want to do something. So we're, we're, we're representing you guys out there. We very much are. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. Um, and next time we, we might be coming back to you from Moldova. We might be coming back to you from a different country. Uh, we'll see as it goes. Who knows? Thanks Take so care. much. Stay safe. Stay safe.